Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So Revelation chapter 9, 19, excuse me, Revelation chapter 19. And so in this series, we've been talking about the importance of winning people to Jesus. We talked about how Solomon went viral and how you couldn't talk about Solomon at that point without talking about Solomon's God. In the second week, we talked about the importance of witnessing and witnessing people maintaining their dignity. The third week, we talked about Jesus' strategy for going viral. And last week, we talked about there is a great lifting up. How God desires to set his people on high, and we are to use our platform for the glory of God. Amen? So, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Notice what it says. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he says unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Say, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he finishes that, and he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a great celebration that takes place in heaven during the last three years of the tribulation period. Now, one of the things, not going to a lot of eschatology teaching today, but the tribulation is about a seven-year period of time that takes place after the rapture of the church. People say, well, is there a pre-tribulation rapture? Is it at the end? Well, the Bible promises, you see in the writings and the epistles, that if we're believers, we, will, uh, we are redeemed from wrath. And wrath is poured out in the tribulation. And if you're a believer, you don't have to go through that. And the concept of the rapture, the word rapture is not found in the Scripture, but the concept is. You'll see in King James the catching up or the gathering together. And so we refer to the rapture of the church because it's also talking about and the gathering up, there's great joy, which comes from the root word for rapture. And so when we talk about the rapture of the church, the concept of being taken up or gathered to God, to God while you're alive into heaven is not a new concept. You'll see that Elijah was raptured, Right? He was taken up. You see, Enoch was taken up. You see, Jesus was taken up. Well, everybody's watching. The glory cloud came and lifted him up. And the fourth rapture will be the rapture of the church, the glorious church, the one without spot or wrinkle, living the way God has called them to live. But there will be people who go to church who haven't been living for Jesus, who were saved, but they're going to miss that first boat ride. Because Jesus said, I'm coming back for those who are looking for me. So if you aren't looking, you ain't going. And so what happens, you think churches are packed on certain Sundays. Wait till the first Sunday. No, actually, wait till the first hour after the rapture happens. Because there are going to be tons of people who know exactly what happened. And they're going to be filling every single church, saying, how do I get out of this place? Because I know what's about to happen. And then a number of events in the tribulation begin. But God is merciful. Say, God is merciful. 
Because there's a number of people who get saved in the first three years of the tribulation. And they join in with those who are backslidden. And at the midpoint of the tribulation, there's a mid-tribulation rapture. And all of those are caught up into heaven. And at this time, there's 144,000 young Jewish evangelists who are going all around the world preaching the gospel, getting those people saved who are going up into the mid-tribulation rapture. And after they're saved, after their ministry is finished, God calls them up to join in heaven. So at this point, six of the seven raptures that are written about in Scripture have already occurred. And so the people who are part of the glorious church rapture, the saints of the past, the mid-tribulation saints, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, they are all the invited guests who are gathered together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a great party, a great feast that God has been planning since before the beginning of time. This celebration is so wonderful, the Scripture says that whoever is called or invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb is blessed. Think about this. That if you are invited to some event, someone say, oh, you are invited to that event, oh, man, you are blessed. We don't think about that you're invited to an event connected to someone saying you're blessed or how happy or how grateful you should be. But the Scripture is saying this is such an event. If you attend this event, man, you are blessed. Go to chapter 21. Let me lay a little bit more foundation for where I'm going. Revelation 21, verse 2. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Verse 9, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked to me, saying, come here, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain to show me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, the marriage supper of the Lamb is a great celebration that takes place after every believer has appeared at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is where every believer gets their job performance review from God. It's based on how did you live in your body. Now, if you go to that judgment seat of Christ, you're going to heaven. Now, the great white throne judgment, everybody goes to that judgment is going to hell. But the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. And if you are at that judgment seat, you're already going to heaven. But what is judged is how you lived your life on the earth. Did you do what God has called you to do? Now, remember, in heaven, our wrongs aren't recorded because the blood has washed it away. Anybody grateful for that? So it's not God judging your sin. He's not judging your mistakes. He's judging what did you do? What did you do while you were on this earth? And Paul talks about how a fire will purify it and what's Left the gold and the silver and the precious stones, those remain, but what is wood, hay, and stubble disappears. So when you live your life, are you doing what God has called you to do, or are you just doing whatever you think you should do? It may be a good idea, but is it a God idea? Because God rewards his ideas, not your ideas. And so let's say you're saved. You're looking for his return, but you didn't do everything he's called you to do. You don't have much at that seat to present. But if you've been following God, there is a reward for you. That seat is about God wanting to reward you. And so what if you have nothing at that seat to present as a reward? Well, you still make it in, as Paul says, as by fire, but you're still saved. But those who did what God has called them to do, they have a reward. They have a crown that follows them into eternity. 
So the marriage supper of the Lamb is the great party after every believer that has existed for all time has received their reward. One of the things God is doing, he is celebrating you. This celebration, this feast, this party is part of your reward. The new city, heavenly Jerusalem, is part of your reward. It celebrates the triumph of Christ and of the church. The bride pictured here is heavenly city of Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem is the capital of God's kingdom and the home of believers. This city is part of their reward for following Christ. Jesus said when he's leaving, he's going to prepare a place for you, a mansion for you. Every believer has a mansion personally designed for them by Jesus. Jesus knows what you like, what you don't like. He knows your favorite color. He knows how you like your house to look. He knows things about you you don't even know about yourself. So your mansion is going to be everything that you would do if you could think about it and imagine and have the money to do it. That's part of his reward for you. But at this marriage supper, while we're celebrating and enjoying, we have to keep this in our mind because when you get to chapter 22, verse 17, it says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. So everybody who goes to this marriage supper of the Lamb should be saying the same thing. Because it's the Holy Ghost is saying this, and the city is saying this. And it says, let him that hears what the Spirit is saying and what the city is saying say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The Holy Spirit is calling people to this wonderful celebration in heaven and to the glorious city. The city itself is calling and inviting people. And the inhabitants of that city are calling and inviting people to partake in this triumphant event. Then the scripture says that everyone who hears the invitation, because that's another word for call. Everyone who hears that invitation should then echo that same call. We must hear what the Holy Spirit and the glorious city is saying this morning. As Jesus said over and over in the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He also said this in the gospel, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we should hear what the Holy Ghost is saying, and this scripture says we should echo it. It is time for us to step up in our efforts in inviting people to this wonderful celebration and to this heavenly city. This is a great marriage supper. This is a great marriage wedding celebration. When you go, will you have a plus one? Or you just go and stack. You just go and buy yourself. Well, I made it in. Will anybody be able to testify of your life that I got to heaven because of them? When you stand before Jesus, can God say, thank you for doing what you're supposed to do. All those people standing behind you followed you in. Or you're just getting there by yourself. Well, I made it in. I ain't going to hell. I'm glad you ain't going to hell, but are you taking anybody with you? Go no, Luke chapter 14. We have to step up our efforts in inviting people to this wonderful celebration, to this heavenly city, so they can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven and not have to go to hell. Luke chapter 14. Jesus sitting at that table eating and teaching. Luke 14, verse 15. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
Then Jesus replied to him and said, A certain man made a great supper and bade or invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I have to go see it. Hey, let me be excused. Another said, I have bought five yoga oxen. I need to go test them out. I pray, have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. We'll see who runs that house. So the servant came <laughs> and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to a servant, go out quickly. Say quickly. Into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you commanded, yet there is still room. And the Lord said unto a servant, go unto into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be what? What is God after? Heaven being full. God wants his house filled. Notice this language, compel. It means to persuade. It means to Urge. This use of the word when we look at other definitions reminds me of Paul's attitude in 1 Corinthians 9.22 when he said he becomes all things to all people that he might win some. Most church people don't have that mentality because they want church to be for them. I want church to be just the way I like it. Don't you dare do something else someone else would like. They can go to hell. Let church be for me. That's not compelling people to come. That's not urging and persuading people to come. Paul's mentality in the use of compel implies by any means necessary. It's a mentality of we will do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. It's a mentality of we will do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. So if it's untraditional, we're still going to do it because it's not sin. If it's kind of different, kind of new, kind of interesting, we're still going to do it if it's going to win people to Jesus. Paul says, when I approach situations to the weak, I become weak. To the strong, I become strong. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the Gentile, I become a Gentile. Whatever I need to do to win people for Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever I need to do to get people to this heavenly supper, whatever I need to do to get people in heaven, that's what I'm going to do. So I have to change some things. I'm going to change some things so that I can win people. See, the thing is, in the church, we cannot be married to methods. You're married to the principle, you only date the method. Because people think, well, my method is anointed. It's anointed whenever God tells you to use it. But if God tells you to do something different, you want to stay with the method, then you're staying with an old system that's not anointed. People say, well, God told me to do it 50 years ago. Well, good. You should have done it then. Is that what God is telling you to do today? Because he'll tell you some things to stick with it for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. But at times, if you don't check in with them, he would have already changed what he needed you to do. But that's because we don't check in with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, what's the best way to win this area? What's the best way to win my family member? What's the best way to win my neighbor? What's the best way to win my coworker? What strategy do you, do you have for them? You know them better than they know themselves. How can I compel them to come? How can I persuade them to come? How can I urge them to come? See, as you read through this parable in Matthew 22, some people make light of the invitation. That's what it says. Others persecuted people who made the invitation. Some people make excuses why they can't come and take part of this invitation. But that shouldn't matter. 
Your mentality has to be, I will win people to Jesus. I will get people at the heavenly supper. I will get them at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and my Father's house will be full. That has to be your mentality. We're going to fill heaven and plunder hell. It's a different mentality. It's winning the lost at any cost. It's willing to change what we do, what we see, in order to fulfill the will of God. What if we stood before the judgment seat of Christ and said, well, God, I didn't do everything you wanted me to do because I was too comfortable doing things you told me to do 50 years ago. I wasn't willing to do something new, even though, yeah, you say you do a new thing, I like the old too much. I was talking to someone yesterday, and we were talking about different things, and he says, no one likes change. You know, as much as you might like the benefits of change, no one likes change. And the Holy Ghost will change things up on you. He is the comforter, but he's not interested in you staying in the comfort zone. He's not interested in you being comfortable. He's interested in you receiving his comfort. So the Holy Ghost will move you out of the comfort zone because he's your comforter if he needs you to win people for Jesus outside your comfort zone. He'll change things up on you if he needs to change it up to bring more people so you can fulfill your purpose. We have to get in our mentality. We need to win people to Jesus no matter what. We need to compel them. We need to urge them. We need to persuade them that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is alive, and you need to be at this marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew 22, verse 9, says, Go ye therefore into the highways, Matthew's version of this parable, and as many as you shall find, bid or invite to the marriage. The word find also reminds us that we should go and look for people to extend this invitation to. We have to look for people. That means even in our 2018 culture, we have to look out of our phone once in a while and look around at people. We have to come out of our own world because, you know, we're busy. We're the busiest generation that's ever existed. And so always moving here, there, here, and there, thinking about what I have to do next, especially in our American culture, that we may not even see people we walk next to. You didn't even notice them. It's not that you're trying to be rude. You actually literally did not see them. Which means we have to train ourselves to look for people. See, the thing is, you may not, you know, you may have been saved for a while and got everybody in your circle, your click saved. Like, well, how am I going to find someone else? Well, when you go to the store, when you go to the market, when you're in the mall, listen. Listen for key words. People talk about things they're going through that's similar to your testimony. Then you take an abbreviated version of your testimony the Holy Ghost gives you to give, and you tell them that, hey, Jesus can do it for you too. You listen for people in times of transition, because in times of transition, people need somebody who's steady. You listen for them to say, well, you know, I moved to this area, and I found out we weren't really ready for the move. Hey, you're new to the area. Why don't you come to church? We'll help you. Well, me and my wife had a baby. We just really weren't ready for the baby. Hey, you know, we got a great kids ministry. Why don't you come on? Listen for people who are in transition, because as they're in their transition, they're willing to try something different. He says, well, they're not saved. It doesn't matter. He didn't say invite to save people. He said invite everybody. He said, well, I can tell they go to another religion and invite them anyways. Well, they're going to show up in their religious garb. Well, good. Come on in. Invite them. Find people. That implies you're looking for people. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek 
and to save that which is lost. The mission of Jesus on the earth is looking for lost people. If this was the mission of Jesus, it must also be our mission. We must look for them. We must find them, and we must compel them to come. Go to Luke 15. Next chapter over, Luke 15. We must look for them. And see, the thing is why you also you need to forgive everybody everything. Because don't be racist. Because you know what Jesus will have you do? Go witness the people who you don't like. He's going to teach you to get over it. Well, I don't like these type of people. Well, great. God's going to anoint you and send you to them. You better get over that real quick. So, well, you don't know. You don't understand. You know, it doesn't matter. Invite everybody. Compel them. Persuade them to come. Because they cussed me out. They spit in my face. Shake it off and keep moving. Although there are forms of American persecution, which is people pressure, that's nothing compared to that first generation church. If they can go through what they went through, we can handle this. So well, what happens if America gets to the point like the first church with the persecution? Then that's the church's fault. The church should have never let that happen. The church should have put people in office and put people in media to stop craziness from going on. So if the United States ever gets to that point, it's the church's fault. It doesn't have to get to that point. If we do our jobs, what God has called us all to do, it won't. But we must be about the Father's business and compel and persuade and urge people to come into the kingdom of God like never before. Luke 15. Then drew near unto Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. When you read the Gospels, you see sinners wanted to be around Jesus. If sinners don't want to be around you, you're not as much like Jesus as you think you are. Jesus never compromised his stance. It was all holiness. Everything he did was holiness. But he still never compromised, yet sinners wanted to be around him. That means there's a way for you to walk in holiness and walk in love at the same time that people who don't ever believe like you, people who live lifestyles opposite to you, want to be around you. And so the religious people, you see, have an issue that all these sinners are around Jesus and having dinner with them, and they're murmuring and complaining. So Jesus responds to the murmuring and the complaining of the religious people. See, some of Jesus' toughest words were to the super-religious people that had a problem with other people coming into the kingdom of God. They're like, well, it should be me, not them. Jesus has some tough words for you. So you remember when they took the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? So what channel were they watching that they caught this woman in the act of adultery? They took her and threw her at the feet of Jesus, expecting to trip up Jesus and get this woman judged. But if you want harsh judgment, don't throw someone at the feet of Jesus. Because they're going to get mercy. If you want harsh judgment, throw them at the feet of some uppity Christian. They'll get judgment then. But if you want someone to receive mercy, take them and throw them at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus begins to tear a parable. What man of you having 100 sheep lose one of them and leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder. What rejoicing? Say rejoicing. If you have a physical Bible, underline that or highlight that or whatever you do on your device to highlight that as well. 
And when he comes home, he calls together with his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice. Underline, highlight that. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. So heaven rejoices and celebrates any time somebody repents and comes to Jesus. Then Jesus continues, even what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently. Say, seek diligently. So she's looking purposely. It's not go, well, when I find it, I found it. No, she is trying to find this coin. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice. Say, rejoice with me. Come on, say, rejoice with me. It says, for I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy and the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So not only does heaven celebrate, the angels get in on the celebration when someone repents. So all these pictures we have of angels being all stoic and quiet, it's not biblical. Because the angels celebrate when somebody repents. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me my inheritance. And he divided unto them his living. So he took his inheritance, gave it to the son who asked for it, and to the son who didn't ask for it. You see that? And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in lack. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now imagine this. We're listening to this to, from American mindset. Okay, cool. He's going to feed some pigs. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd. He just told a Jewish crowd that the seed of Abraham voluntarily became a servant to a Gentile. And the job was to feed pigs. So notice the ultimate insult and the mentality of where they are. This guy has sunk into one of the lowest places he could be. And he would have faint. He wanted to fill his belly with the pig slop. He was so hungry and so like, I will eat what the pigs are eating. Yes, they're unclean. Yes, everybody in my family does even want me to touch the pig, but I'll eat what they're eating. But even though he would eat the pig slop, it says no one gave anything to him. And when he came to himself, thank God. Sometimes we're in situations we create it, but then you come to yourself. He said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. You know what? He's coming up with a plan. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, so he's practicing the speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. So his father has been looking for him. Even though he left to go do crazy, stupid stuff, his father is still looking for him. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This dude is dirty. This dude is stinky. He's been living with pigs. He's covered in mud. But the father, the rich father, runs and hugs him and kisses him. And the son begins to go over his speech. He's practiced. Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. That's what he was beginning to practice. He was about to say, now, 
make me one of your hired servants. But his father interrupts him. He interrupts that speech. He says, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. He didn't say clean him up for him. He said, bring him the best robe. Bring him my ring and put it on his hand. That ring is like an unlimited credit card, meaning he has access to my account once again. Put sandals on his feet. And bring here the fatted calf and kill it. Now, we just read it. Oh, cool. They're about to have a great meal. But why is the fatted calf important? In Jewish culture, they would keep a fatted calf if they had the money for it. They would keep it because they remember what happened when God appeared to Abraham in Genesis. When God appeared in physical form with two other angelic beings, they went and had a meal with Abraham and Sarah prepared a meal. So Jewish culture would keep a fatted calf ready just in case God appeared and came to the house again. So notice in this parable, Jesus is saying, take what was reserved for the father and give it to the son who repented. Notice the heart of God. Because he has received him safe and sound. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to celebrate. They began to party. They began to sing. They began to dance. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. So this is not a quiet party. This is not, well, we're so glad you returned. Go sit down somewhere. Let's watch TV. They are celebrating so loud, the other son hears it outside. And he called one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? What's going on? He says, your brother is back, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, came his father out and says, hey, come on in. What's going on? And notice what the son says, all these many years I have served you. I have not transgressed your commandment at any time. Look how self-righteous he is. Yet you never gave me a kid. That's a goat. You never gave me like an even baby goat. You give this dude the fatted calf that's reserved for God. He didn't even give me a goat. That I might have a party with my friends. But as soon as your son comes back who devoured his living, spending time with hoes, you have killed him, the fatted calf. <laughs> so notice what bothers. like he was doing stuff I want to do, but I couldn't do it. Because I was doing everything you told me to do. And notice what the father said. He said, Son, you're every with me. Everything I have is yours. Not just your inheritance. Everything that belongs to me already belongs to you. At any time, you could have thrown your own party. You don't even have to ask me for all this stuff. It's already yours. If it's yours, you have the right to it at any time. He says, son, you could have had a celebration every single night. He says, it is good, it is meat that we should make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. So notice this whole chapter. We see the celebration of the man who finds a sheep. We see the celebration of the woman who finds a coin. We see the celebration of the party of the man's son who comes back home again. And what is Jesus saying through this whole chapter? In the same way, heaven celebrates. In the same way, the angels celebrate. One of the things when you look Jesus expects joy and rejoicing in heaven every time a sinner repents. And he says, that's what happens. And the magnitude increases throughout the story. So I have a question for you today. Is your life giving heaven any reason to turn up? Is your life giving heaven any reason to turn up?
Have you sponsored any heavenly parties lately? When heaven throws the best parties, then they, oh, it's because of you once owned a Jesus. You know heaven loved Billy Graham because he was causing them to party all day long. But have you sponsored any heavenly parties lately? Has heaven turned up because of you? Throughout our lives, we are to pass out invitations that echo what the Holy Spirit is saying. He will lead you how to extend the invitation. It may come through conversations, friendships, preaching, and many other formats. But we must, we must, we must extend the invitation. This invitation echoes the mentality of grace. As we said previously, grace as a mentality. It's God's desire to treat you as sin never happened. As you were never lost or messed up in the first place. This mentality will fall under three of the grace definitions for fa- as favor, graciousness, and gift. This mentality flows from Ephesians 2.8 where we learn that we are saved by grace through faith and that is the gift of God and it's not something we work for. It's the mentality we must win people. Not look for people, well, they look like they should be saved. Look for everybody. Because God will use you the way you are to reach someone else who will listen to you. So you tatted up, you wear your tats, and you bring someone to Jesus. You fashionable, you be fashionable, and you bring someone to Jesus. You have no fashion sense whatsoever, well, you stay there, and you bring the other people who have no fashion sense to Jesus. One of the things we said over the last couple weeks is, what if God put certain attributes in you? Certain likes in you, because he knew if you had that like, you would go to a certain place and you'd be there at a time when you could run someone to Jesus. What if the reason you like coffee like I like coffee is because one time you're going to go to Starbucks and get somebody saved? What if the reason why you like Tex-Mex like I do, like a little bit too much, I got to lose the weight as a result of it, is because you can go into a restaurant one day and bring someone to Jesus, bring your waiter or waitress to Jesus, sit next to someone who needs Jesus. And you just went there because you were hungry. But God had a plan before the foundation of the world. See, I'm going to make them like this food because they can go to eat one day so I can get somebody saved so they can give an invite to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's using everything that God has put in you for the purpose of bringing people to Jesus. It's realizing God created you in a very special, unique way that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's things he's put in your heart, things he's put in your personality, things he's put in your consciousness. That as you do it, it gives you an opportunity to bring people to Jesus. You must extend the invitation. But what's on that invite? You see, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God 27 times. His title in the book of Revelation is the Lamb of God 27 different times. Why is that important? John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist cries out, Behold the Lamb of God when he saw Jesus, which takes away the sin of the what? World. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus identified as the Lamb 27 times in the book of Revelation, is important to this invitation and to the mentality of those who live at the end of the church age, which we do. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. So why is John writing this letter? So you don't sin. 
So just because there's grace doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to do. You're still not supposed to sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. So he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we say Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, we're saying that he is our substitute with the curse. He was our substitute on the whipping post with a cat of nine tails that beat him to the inch of his life. He was our substitute on our cross, and he was a substitute in hell. Proclaiming Jesus the Lamb of God is proclaiming he is the propitiation for our sins. He is our atoning sacrifice. Or another way to say it, he took our place. He was beaten with a beating we deserved. He was tortured in a way that we deserved. He was put, he died at death we deserved. He went to hell like we deserved to go to hell. We are saying as he's the Lamb of God, Jesus took our place. That's why it's important at the end of time when people are going crazier than ever, sinning beyond past limitations. We say he's the Lamb of God. He doesn't take away the sins of just good church people. It says he took away the sins of the entire world. Every sin. Whether you think of big sins, small sins, whatever your sin list is, Jesus took that sin already. You read Isaiah 53, God already punished Jesus for your sins, past, present, and future. Everything you ever did, everything you ever do, Jesus has already been punished for you. Jesus has already been punished for the entire world. So part of this invitation is letting people know God is not looking to punish you. He's already punished Jesus because Jesus took your place. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to pay God back because Jesus already paid the ultimate price. All you have to do is come and receive Jesus. All you have to do is come and receive the Lamb of God. He is your atoning sacrifice. He already took your place. See, there's so many people in the world and in this nation who have this religious mindset that, yeah, I know I need to come to God, but I need to get myself right. Or I need to do all these things so I can make it into heaven. No, the only thing that gets you into heaven is receiving Jesus. Receive and then follow. So people don't go to hell for lying. People don't go to hell for stealing. People don't go to hell for sleeping around. People don't go to hell for all the different lists you have in your mind while people go to hell. There's only one reason people go to hell, and that's rejecting Jesus. Why? Jesus already paid the price for every other sin. Rejecting him is the same thing as not making a decision for him. It's still a form of rejection. So the invitation you give out is, hey, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to make it up to God. Salvation is a gift, not something you earn. You don't owe God anything. All you have to do is receive the invitation. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? I don't owe God anything. If it's a gift, you can't pay someone back for a gift. It's a gift. If you can pay God back, it's a wage, and you earned your salvation. Salvation is a gift. You say, well, I'll do anything because of what he's done. Yeah, that's gratitude. Not working back to give back to him. It's a mentality. If God has so graciously saved me, he can do it for anybody. So who am I not to extend the same invitation Jesus gave me? Who am I not 
to send the invite out to everyone who will hear. Who am I not to take the breath of my body that God has given me and invite people to know this wonderful Jesus who is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. You see, we see Jesus in the Gospels. It says at one point when we look at the 70 return, they're giving Jesus a testimony. Talking about all the people who got delivered, all the people who got healed, all the things that were happening. And Jesus is telling the story how Satan fell from heaven. And as Jesus finished teaching, it says he began to pray, and it says he began to rejoice. That word rejoicing talks about dancing. That word rejoicing in the simplest definition is he began to spin around violently. So we don't have a picture of Jesus dancing. We think, oh, Jesus was carrying lambs over his shoulder going, there was a coin and there was a lost son and being very quiet. But it says Jesus was a preacher. Proclaim. That means Jesus got loud. As we see in this gospel, this times Jesus danced. But why did he dance? As he's dancing and praising God, he's thanking God that God has revealed these truths to spiritual babies. And spiritual babies took these truths and changed people's lives. So we see one of the reasons Jesus rejoices and dances is over in his God's children receiving revelation. Jesus rejoices when his people receive revelation. All of heaven celebrates when the sinner repents. If we do our job right here at faith, every faith experience gives Jesus and all of heaven a reason to rejoice. That every time you come, we receive revelation of the word. And Jesus is dancing and celebrating. Every time someone comes to the altar, the angels begin to celebrate and turn up. We should be winning so many people to Jesus. We should be pouring out so much revelation that there's a little John-looking angel in heaven yelling, turn down for what? Have you given heaven a reason to turn up? It's time for us to get about the Father's business. It's time to win our world. It's time to save our world. It's time to win our community. It's time out for stop saying, well, it's too hard for them to get saved. Jesus liked hard cases. Saul was a hard case, yet he became a preacher who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Jesus can win anybody. They just have to yield. But you have to do your part. Yes, we should pray for the harvest. The Lord sends laborers in the harvest. You pray, he's going to send you too. So, oh, there's a harvest all around the world. Yes, but there's a harvest in Austell and Smyrna and Marietta. There's a harvest in Atlanta. There's a harvest in Paulding County. There's a harvest in Fulton County. There's a harvest in Douglas County. There's a harvest in Fayette County, Clayton County. There's a harvest wherever you go. There's a harvest in Gwinnett. There's a harvest whatever you may take yourself. But you must open your eyes and look for it. So what Jesus said in John 4, lift up your eyes. The fields are already ready. Don't be so nearsighted that you miss the opportunity right in front of you. We can't just be concerned about us. It's like, well, I came to church. I'm getting the revelation so Jesus is happy. Well, who did you bring to church with you? Oh, man, the revelation is great. Well, who else needs that revelation in your life? It's time, it's time out for us to just go to church for us. It should be about us going for us and somebody else. It's time to win people for Jesus like never before because we have the passion of our Father. We want his house filled. We want to fill the house. So we invite everybody. Everybody. The ones you like and the ones you don't like. He didn't say, get them saved and invite them. Just go invite them. It's not a limitation of who you can invite. 
It's not a set number of people that have to get saved. Invite everybody. Give heaven a reason to celebrate. Give heaven a reason to rejoice. So that when you get there, angels you've never met, Bible characters you never met, saints in heaven you never met, come and thank you because, hey, you were one of the reasons we had some of the best parties up here. Look at all these people you want to Jesus. Notice it's not the job of the preacher only. It's everybody. Everybody has the responsibility of winning people to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says we are ambassadors. We have governmental authority and responsibility to go and represent Jesus wherever we go. So ask the Holy Ghost for your wisdom. How should I win that person? You have a friend who's not saved. Holy Ghost, what should I say to them? What should I do? How should I win my neighbor? How should I win my coworker? And that doesn't mean you take a Bible and hit them on the side of the head and say, you need to get saved right now. The Bible says compel, so I'm about to force you to pray that prayer. Now, you can try that, and it may or may not work. But you get the wisdom of the Holy Ghost, you know exactly what to do. You keep asking them and say, one day he might say, just smile at them. Say, hey, how you doing? Bring them some coffee. Do this. Do that. What are you doing? Sowing seeds, watering, preparing hearts. He says, well, I keep doing this, and I haven't seen someone get saved. You may just be the one who's sowing and watering, and someone else is doing the harvesting. And you get to heaven, all these people say, hey, thank you for what you said that day. So, well, you didn't get saved, but that started me on my journey. Some of you may have got saved the first time you heard the gospel, but some of you might have taken you a long time. So think about everybody who was patient with you on your journey. Everybody who acted like Jesus to you on your journey. All the people who gave so you had a church so you can go to to get saved. All the people who prayed so that you wouldn't be hard-headed when the altar call came. The people who ministered to you after you came to the altar call. Think about how many people were involved to bring you to Jesus. And why can't you be one that's involved to bring someone else to Jesus? We need to actively be about winning people to Jesus. We need to be actively growing in the Word of God, increasing the revelation. But this revelation should move us so much, we go and win our area. And not just on days we have outreach team, not just on days when the SWAT team goes out. Every day. That you're looking for people to bring to church with you on Sunday. That you're looking for people to bring with you on Wednesday. That you're looking, hey, I'm going to leave this experience and I'm going to share this video on Facebook because there's someone in my feed who's going to listen to and need to hear what Pastor said. It's thinking about every opportunity to send an invite. It's thinking about the message last week, how there's a great lifting up, how God desires to set his people on high, and remembering that with prosperity and promotion comes a platform, and we use our platform for the purpose of extending invites. Like, God, you keep promoting me, you keep prospering, I can get more invites. I can invite more people to this glorious celebration. Live a life that causes heaven to turn up. The time is short. Jesus is coming back. We need to live like it. We need to act like it because we have a job to do. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lamb of God. Go ahead and lift your hands. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the leading of your spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for being our atoning sacrifice, for being our propitiation, for being the Lamb for us. Thank you for taking our place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your leading, for living within us and resting upon us. Now help us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers in the word, so that according to James, we may be blessed in our doing.
We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Father, grant each and every person here favor and the words to say as they go out this week and encounter people who don't know you or those who are backslidden and are far from you. Grant them the words to say and the favor that they may minister word and do season to them, that ultimately they may be saved and cause your house to be full. For that's our desire. So, Father, light a fire in me. Light a fire in this entire congregation and everyone on the sound of my voice here and online to win people for you like never before. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.